Thank you so much, Oscar. Brilliant. Well, hello. I am Dom, and if you don't know me, I am our youth outreach worker here at Holy Trinity Claygate. Um, it's, I, I really actually recently, it's Holy Trinity Church Claygate. I keep getting that wrong. But if you don't know me very well, um, that is who I am. But if you do know me, you will know that I, I love a good quiz. That's right. And for those that are waiting for the Wells Instagram Sunday quiz, I'm afraid this is it for today. So get ready and I uh, hope you do well. So I will ask you to give some participation in a moment. But this survey was, it was fulfilled and it was run out in America. So let that maybe influence your decision. But I'm going to ask you a few questions. And the first one I want to find out is what percentage of people um, believe that people are inherently good? So that's the first question. How many people think um, that people are inherently good? So we're going to start with 10% of people. Any hands up? 20%, 20%, 30%, 40%, 50%, 60%, 70%, 80%, and 90%, and then 100%. Very interesting. It was actually 80%. So 81% of people believe that all people are inherently good. Now, what about themselves? How many, what percentage of people think that they are fundamentally a good person? And I'm going to start from 50 up this time. So who thinks it's 50%, 60%, 70%, 80 percent, 90% or 100%? This one was actually 72%. So 72% of people think that they are fundamentally good. And now finally, what percentage of people think that they're the best person that they know? <laughs> uh, who thinks it's 10%? I'm skipping 0%, but 10%, 20 20%, 30%, 40%, 50%, 60%, 70%, 80%, 90%, or 100%. Oh. <laughs> it, is, it is about half the people asked on this survey thought that they were the best person that they knew. Tell, tells you a lot about ourselves, doesn't it? But to some extent, there is truth to this. I know that I want to live a good life and I'm always trying to get it right and to do the things that I know that are good and right. One main example in my own life uh, is why I choose to be a vegetarian. We, if you were around in the summer of 2021, we went through um, the creation care series and one important way for me to minimize my environmental impact was to refrain from eating meat. I do it because I think there's a, a lack of justice in how the climate change impacts the, planet, the planet's poorest. However, though I do care about my impact and I've made the step to change my eating habits, I'm very laid back when it comes to other things that impact the environment, like recycling, which everyone seems to be really good at like, around me, but I struggle with it. I live in a single room with a single bin, and I'm not very good at consistently separating the recyclables from the non-recyclables. In fact, you could say I'm pretty rubbish at it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but although I want to live a good life and do what is right, somehow, often things don't work out how I intended. I wonder what this might look like for your, you in your own life. Maybe you wake up each morning thinking, I'm going to be really patient and really nice to my family today. 
And then they drive you up the wall and you quickly find yourself saying, maybe tomorrow. Maybe you want to prioritize spending time with God, but somehow every day becomes too busy and you feel overwhelmed and you reach for the chocolate instead. I know. Maybe, maybe it's that, oh, you know, I'm going to be on top of my homework. My room is going to be spotless. I am going to be organized. And yet again, you are behind on all your deadlines and your room is just a pile of clothes. Or finally, maybe you have the intention to be more generous with your own money, but the bills are going up and up and it becomes more tricky to stick to your own intentions. We all like this idea of a good person. And of course, we all want to live good lives, but sometimes the bar, it just seems too high. In this passage, God is called Yahweh Zidkenu, the Lord our righteousness. Now, just, just before we go into the passage, if you go back to the slide before, can anyone spot the word Zidkenu? Sam, are you there? That one, yes. Can anyone spot it? Zidkenu, tell me. Or anyone hands up? Where is it? Top right or left? Top left. Sidkenu. It's a weird word, but that is the name of God that we're looking at today. If you've been following for our series, we've been looking at the different names of God. Um, so good to clarify a bit of consistency in that. And in your, if you're interested to look at some of the other names again, or to remember the meaning behind the name Yahweh, I encourage you to listen to some of the previous talks from Holly and Richard online. So, in this passage... This is God speaking through Jeremiah at a time when Israel has been in exile, conquered and scattered. God starts by speaking directly to those kings and rulers who have not been looking after his people, and God declares that he will judge them. Then he affirms his promise that he will gather his people and bring them back to their holy land, saying in verse 3, I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them and will bring them back to their pasture where they will be fruitful and increase in number. His promise is one of justice and making things right for his people once again. But what I find most powerful when I read through this passage is the promise that God proclaims. I will, raise, I will rise up for David, or from David's line, a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. And then it ends with, this is the name by which he will be called, the Lord our righteousness. But the word righteousness, what does it mean? It's often lost in our modern age. It's a long word after all, look at it, it's spelt really weirdly. And the word is often more commonly associated with self-righteousness. Now, maybe some of you are familiar with that term. I'll give some examples. I've kind of adjusted some quotes here. My greatest pain in life is to know that I will never be able to sit in the audience and watch myself preach. It has been really tough to get where I am. I started off when my dad gave me a small loan of a million dollars. For me to say I'm not a genius, that would just be lying to you and myself. I think I'm much more humble than you would understand. But maybe for all of us here, it's just simply thinking, why couldn't everyone just be more like me? So if self-righteousness is righteousness in my own eyes or your own eyes, what does the Bible define as righteousness? So let's unpack the word righteousness as it's used in scripture. 
And for some of you, you're going to love this. We're going to go into a bit of the Hebrew words here. But in the Old Testament, there are several different words for righteousness. And there's a lot of overlap between their meanings. But these are the three concepts that we translate as righteousness. We have sadaka, which means justice or justness. And this is about the way that God judges things rightly and in a fair yet merciful way. We have sadiq, which is innocence, to be in the right or to be devout. But finally, sadek, which is, talks about accuracy, correctness, uprightness, doing the right thing. And our word today, the name Yahweh Sekendu, uh, which is used in our passage, this derives from this final one, sadek, talking about uprightness. Now, I find this really interesting, that it's this part of the word that we find used in this passage. For we can clearly see that the first righteousness about justice, this is, this is in this passage, that he, God will act out justice, judging those who have looked after his people poorly and providing mercy for those who have been oppressed. In fact, we see this a lot in the Old Testament. Isaiah 30, 18. Therefore, the Lord longs to be gracious to you, and therefore he waits on high to have compassion on you, for the Lord is a God of justice. Psalms 9, 7 to 8. And he will judge the world in righteousness. He is a righteous judge. But actually, instead, to understand the, uh, the name Yahweh Sikendu, we must look at what it means for God to be accurate, correct, and upright. Now, Patrick and Sarah this morning got you to think of what were your own non-negotiables, the things that you will stick to, you are confident that these are the right things to go by. Maybe it's just rules for your house, maybe it's rules for your life. I know for myself, I, I, my, my, one of the ones that comes to mind is gossip. I never want to be a part of it. That's where I draw the line. I'm like, no gossip, please. But actually, where do we see God's uprightness? How do we know that he is righteous as his name suggests? What are God's non-negotiables? Is it in his commands? Is it his teachings? Is it how he asks us to live? Well, actually, as I delve deeper, it's scattered across this passage. And God's position of unwavering uprightness comes from his own word. God would never break what he has said. So actually, it's in his promises and upholding those that he always delivers. Those are his non-negotiables. Those are the things he is upright in. So let's take a moment and reflect on God's righteousness through his promises. Now, thanks to myself and the help of Sam, underneath blue tack to maybe half the chairs here are lots of different promises that God says throughout the Bible. So have a little search. Spend some time looking at them with the people behind you and next to you. If you're on a sofa, it's in the corners of the sofa. I've tucked it in. Yeah, I went to detail. So take some time, speak to those around you and have a read. And if there's empty chairs, just try and look under them. Hopefully you've had a little bit of time to dwell on some of the many promises that God shares throughout the Bible. I'm actually going to go around. If anyone's feeling brave, I'd love you to read some of these out for me. So, yes, thank you. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Thank you so much. Is anyone else feeling brave around here? Yes.
I will no longer hide my face from them, for I will pour out my spirit on the house of Israel, declares the so- sovereign Lord. Very good. Anyone else feeling brave coming around? I will show love to the house of Judah, and I will save them, not by bow, sword or battle, or by horses and horsemen, but by the Lord their God. Beautiful. Any more from over here? Anyone feeling confident? Yes. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Thank you. I'm actually going to cycle down this way, run fast a few people. Is there anyone on this side that would like to read out? This one says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. It's Psalm 37, verse 4. It's one of my personal favorites. Okay, this one says, The Lord redeems his servants. No one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. Psalm 34, 22. Yeah, I can see some keen people down there. John, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that hears my word and believes on him that sent me has everlasting life and shall not come unto into condemnation, but it's passed from death and unto life. Thank you so much. There's so many promises throughout the Bible that God, in his righteousness, will always uphold. And there's even two examples of these promises in the passage that we've read. The first one I see is that actually God will uphold his promise he has made to Israel in the past for them to live in the promised land and be prosperous that he will be their God and he will look after them. And secondly, God promises to rise up a branch in the line of David, a king who will be righteous and be called the Lord our righteousness. And here's just an amazing bit to follow on. The one it speaks of as our righteousness will be righteous in every single sense of the word. And that is Jesus. Jesus will be just, showing fairness even in his mercy. He will be innocent, the blameless sacrifice made for us all. And he will be the fulfiller of righteousness, the answer to everything that God has promised. If Jesus didn't come to be the answer to this promise made in in Jeremiah, then God's righteousness doesn't hold. Holly mentioned last week that the stakes were high when God made that first promise to Abraham. But through Jesus, God fulfills his promises. Jesus is our righteousness. He embodies it all. So we know that God is righteous, and we can see the evidence, especially through Jesus. But what about our own desire for righteousness? Like we said, and as we saw in that quiz, that people want to think they're good. People desire to be good. And it's all through Jesus. The emphasis on the Lord as our righteousness. 
By ourselves, we cannot achieve righteousness, but it is through faith in God that righteousness is promised to us. And this is why in the New Testament, they all derive from the same word for justice, and it can translate as this. Uh, The word in Greek is dikaios, and it means justified, made right with, declared innocent, or being declared righteous. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And in fact, the first time we ever see righteousness used in the Bible, it's the first time we also see the word belief. And it says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. This is not a new promise for us that if we have faith, we will receive. So what? How can we stop aiming for righteousness in our own power and take on God's righteousness? How do God's promises become our own? Being a Christian, it isn't about that we are saved by being a good person, but it's through our own faith that whoever believes in him shall not die, but have eternal life. It is by faith that we are saved, and through that faith, we receive God's promises. Yahweh Sekendu, the Lord our righteousness. Through Jesus, we have been justified. But that's not the end of the story. For those of us that have faith in Jesus, a transformation of righteousness should be expected. We are not called to live just as we are, but instead to be transformed by the renewing of our minds into Jesus' own likeness. And in this way, righteousness becomes an outworking of our own faith. If God has promised that we will and have been justified, made innocent, and that we love God, then how do you live it out? How can you do that today? How can you do that this week? How will you seek justice in our own world? How will you continue to aim for what is right, standing firm, as God does, in his word and his promises? How can you grow into the fullness of God's promise that is already yours? Well, actually, what would that look like if we all did it? If I did it, if you did it, if all Christians did that around the world, that actually we would start to see our righteousness, not self-righteousness, but God's righteousness all across the earth. And the incredible truth of God's promises will be so clear every day of our lives. So let me end by reminding ourselves of our righteousness, the Lord. It says in Joshua 23:14, you know with all your heart and soul that not one of the good promises the Lord your God gave you has ever failed. Every promise has been fulfilled 